Do you want to start today? Well, you have to start today because I'm I not ready yet. I have to start because I don't even know what your subject is. And now I'm going to have to tell people about my subject while Eugene writes his notes on his subject. Uh, to my defense. So uh, let's, let's preface this like, wait, is this reflective of how you approach school? Like a hundred percent. This is very reflective of my personality. You, you were the kid in AP English who didn't read the book. And then 10 minutes before whoa, whoa, whoa. class looked up spark notes. And then waited until everyone else presented in class and then like spitballed off of what other people had presented. That's you. For sure I wasn't in AP English. Let's start let's start there. This is Making It Up, a podcast where we tell you what's happening in creative culture and why it matters. I'm Sharice Poon and my co-host is Eugene Can. We don't always have all the answers but we try our best to reach a conclusion that adds value to the conversation. If you like this podcast, please share an episode with a friend. We really appreciate it. My subject this week is COVID-19 related, but is a very nice story. It made me happy. So since campuses are closed, college students have been rebuilding their schools in Minecraft. This piece was written by a senior student at Oberlin College, Pierce Anderson, for The Verge. So in particular, the author themselves is a senior student. And it does focus on senior university students who are in the last year of school and they are creating their college campuses quite literally in Minecraft in terms of architecturally, but also just gathering together on Minecraft college servers. And one thing that's kind of interesting as well is that the author says the graduating class of 2020 grew up with Minecraft. It was kind of something that they started doing in middle school and then it was sort of upgraded as they were growing up so it's something they're very familiar with as entertainment and as a tool and it is there's a very like large emotional component of this because college commencements which is a very important ritual i would say i think in terms of graduation have been canceled and moved to be these virtual experiences and this one senior student was quoted as saying in the article I'm the first in my family to graduate from college, so it wasn't just my commencement, it was for the rest of my family too. She left campus suddenly, is now helping rebuild it in Minecraft days after departure. And then she goes on to say, I didn't have the chance to properly mourn or finish out my senior bucket list, say goodbye to my friends and teachers. I'm still trying to process that loss. So it's really sweet working on the campus. It's making the process of leaving feel less sudden and more gradual. So I think that's a really key part in this is that it's not just about the space of the Minecraft server as this finished place for people to hang out in, but it's also the activity of making the college campus of this long process being part of what they emotionally and psychologically need to kind of finish their university year. 
I'm really glad you picked this topic because my topic that I was deliberating over also kind of delved into these themes, albeit slightly differently. Same sort of like premise. Well, I look forward to finding out what it is. Well, I'm not going to talk about it. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I think that we have reached a point where I was looking through the news and I had basically decided, you know, it's going to wind up being COVID-19 pandemic related somehow. But I was kind of looking for these niche things that are kind of happening for specific groups. And, you know, senior graduating university students is definitely a group that people have been talking about because it is going to be very hard for them to be graduating at this moment in time. They are in that very unfortunate position of graduating in a time of great economical uncertainty. And so I think there was already this like existing solidarity between everyone who's graduating this year. And then this is just sort of one of the evidences of that kind of solidarity. So a little bit more facts. Um, some of the universities... Can I ask you a question? Yeah, go ahead. Do you think that when when traditions like these are uprooted by things out of your control, that people fail to like reorientate themselves? But an example would be a wedding, right? Like there's an expectation of what a wedding should be, but in the face of this, sometimes people need to do things differently. I think it's so hard for people to reorientate themselves for these specific kinds of rituals because we're not just talking about like one year of preparation. We're talking about maybe a lifetime of expectation. You know, like that senior student that I quoted earlier, you know, she said, or I'm actually not sure about their pronoun, but they said that they're the first in their family. So that's something that might be since they were a kid, they knew like college is going to be a really big deal to me. Like graduation is really important to my parents. It's more loaded than like a conference postponement, for example. I guess what I'm trying to say is that the the underlying act is still being committed. It's just being carried out in different terms. Right. But I understand like, you know, you're still graduating. Like it doesn't take that away. It's just that you don't have the ability to do it in a, in a pack. I think you would still want to be able to recreate some elements of that ritual. Like it's too much to ask people to not have anything, you know, to not find a replacement. And so I guess it's up to individuals to decide like, what can give me the same type of feeling, even if it's not the same action that I thought I was going to be doing? And it's a bit of a testing, right? It's a bit of like an experimental phase where you would find out, oh, actually being in the Minecraft server, building this university with my fellow classmates does give me that same feeling. Like I'm getting what I wanted from doing this. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's not, it's, it's, everything is so up in the air, right? Like no one could have guessed that they would be trying to give themselves that same emotional closure through Minecraft. Yeah. I wanted to give a couple more details, which I thought were interesting. And then some are just information. Um, universities involved, and it's always like student organized, but universities involved are University of Pennsylvania, Boston U, UCLA, South Louisiana Community College, Northwestern, and more. And I was thinking, like, our listeners are probably not students at these colleges, but maybe they've graduated from some of these. Like, it's possible that we have listeners who are alumni. And I did think, oh, it could be actually really fun as well for alumni to go back to their colleges. So just throwing that out there, if you're curious whether you have one of those. And it's 
interesting as well because besides you know recreating colleges campuses they're also using minecraft abilities to hang out so like minecraft has a survival mode server and so sports teams are hanging out and doing that together as like a bonding activity or like as a replacement of their previous like sports activity and then also there's this speed running version like a speed running in the game of a track and field competition at UPenn. So I thought that was pretty creative. Like, again, it's not a 100%. It can't fully replace, in my opinion, it cannot fully replace that physical experience. But it is a different experience that could provide a lot of the same emotional value. Yeah. And I also think one thing about Minecraft that is interesting, I think we talked about, I think we've already talked about virtual hanging out like two weeks ago but something that's different about minecraft and this is a conversation that has come up between me and other people is that you have your own person in it like you have an avatar representation and you can walk around a 3d world and so it's more similar to a physical world hangout than something like zoom or discord because you can like walk and navigate a virtual space so this is not like a groundbreaking idea, I'm saying, but like in this current moment in time, I think it supplies more than what it used to. And my topic itself was similar in the sense that it was about people recreating photo shoots in these games, whether it was The Sims or Animal Crossing. It's, oh. it's very similar in that capacity. And the thing I was curious about was, which I'm curious about a lot of things, was that like, this is probably a little bit different of a scenario because you're trying to replicate real life as closely as possible. Like if you're going to your commencement or whatever, you're trying to do that on behalf of yourself, I think. So that means like your character should probably look like you versus when you start entering these more creative spaces where since there's a bit of anonymity, do you actually feel more free than in the real world? Because there's not like, Sharice Poon attached to your character unless you choose for it to be attached as such. Yeah, there was a quote in this I really like that is exactly on that topic where the author writes, a campus build server could be a mind palace for me as it has been for others. And then there's a quote from this other student, Macarius Chung, who says, there have been some parts of the Pencraft campus where I can stand there and I can feel like I'm standing in the same place in real life, or at least I get the same brainwaves. So they are addressing the fact that it is important that it is a replica of real life and it's not, you know, this fantasy land. It's not the Hogwarts campus. It is their actual UPenn campus because they want to get those same emotions. And so that real representation of yourself becomes important because you're not trying to be, in this instance, you're not trying to get enjoyment or satisfaction from exercising creativity necessarily you're like getting satisfaction and enjoyment from like being yourself in a space that is what you are familiar with yeah it goes back to my other point about how do we approach these digital worlds when we have a little bit more open reign to kind of just be maybe a the representation of who we want to be right and you know i i, I spend a lot more time on discord servers these days and i'm probably one of like 100 people that have my own name attached to mm. it like i just it just mm -hmm. says eugene can i'm just used to it right versus like people having their their nicknames or whatnot and i do think about that because 
you've seen the internet go through these different flow patterns where, well, if everyone identifies by their real identity, then you'll create a certain type of discourse. And if you go to the flip side where it's pure anonymity, you also create a certain type of discourse or social interaction. So I'm just curious how this is going to play out in the future and like, which one will we it's not to say you have to pick one another. It's not like a, a zero-sum game, but like, you know, are people going to be more interested knowing they can change their reality digitally to go more into the world of like I made mean, up stuff? This tips into a real, really interesting larger subject that I don't have any solid thoughts on, but it's this idea that in the time of coronavirus, because we're spending so much time digitally and using a lot of new software and tools we have become less concerned about privacy. So it's kind of like before the pandemic, like concerns about privacy was like rising, 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 rising. And like consumers were putting a lot of pressure on software and platforms, everything virtually to like have privacy be a priority. But now because we so much just need these tools and want to be online as ourselves, essentially, we've, without really thinking about it very much, I wouldn't even say it's a sacrifice. We're just not concerned about privacy to the same degree because we have other priorities right now that have like superseded yep is there anything you want to end off with yeah yeah so there's just one more nice anecdote which is that the article kind of wraps up with talking about how boston university seniors rudy and warren have created this quote quarantine university quarantine with T-E-E-N. It's very punny. And it's a new server specifically made to host a class of 2020 graduation for students from hundreds of different universities. So it's not for any specific university, it's for whatever university. And so far, 706 students from 278 institutions have signed up for it. And parents have even inquired about how they can get observation, like how can they attend the ceremony virtually. I thought it was really nice. Like, this is something that's not possible in real life, where colleges can all be coming together across the world globally. And is this understanding that I this I know this is cheesy, but I feel like in the time of coronavirus, I've just said like an increase of cheesy things, where people everywhere across languages and cultures can be in the same place, air quotes place. Yeah, no, I was going to throw something out there and it's whether or not we want to, if you want to comment on it or you want to just move past it. It was more like in this current time, there's just this massive sort of like this or that. It's either things have come together in a very positive way or they've regressed to something really bad. Oh, that's so true. Or maybe it's just like, it's like, hey, you know, either you're all, all hands on deck to like work together or... Like, I think that maybe it's, well, obviously let's put it this way, like apathy doesn't make news, right? So maybe that's why you don't hear about it or you don't see it. And there's lots of people that are just like, I I think that that's maybe what we've been conditioned to see is that, hey, this is such a great sort of human story. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, all these people come together digitally or it's like someone gets attacked for doing X, Y, Z, for being Asian, for hoarding. It's sort of like the the realization that you have to be i don't i don't think careful is the mm. word it's just like hey we need to be mindful of like 
be mindful of the stuff we're consuming from a media standpoint. I mean, a lot of people have been smart and just, you know, removing their social media, yeah. right? But if you don't have that ability, sometimes you need to catch yourself and like take a step back and realize, hey, you know what? There's there's things that are happening in the middle. It's just that the middle never gets any rightfully so. It's like it's it's quote unquote boring, maybe for a good reason. Like everyone's social distancing and sitting at home, right? Yeah. Like it's it's not really like anything beyond a comment. I actually think that's a really good point. All of the average news things that happen just don't get our attention. Even before that was already true, but now I think it is even more true because we're either gravitated to like rubbernecking where we're watching like all of the worst stuff happen and we're kind of like fascinated by all of this like really bad behavior or we're like in need of like these really feel good positive humanity stories. It doesn't mean that like the good stories aren't still good and the bad stories aren't bad. It's just like in our consumption and our retelling of them we we gravitate towards those like extremes. Unfortunately, media itself has to operate on the extremes right now because that's the only way to break through the noise. Well, not the only way, but like primarily speaking, the easiest way. It's actually funny because the other article that I almost went with was the small business stimulus plan, which is great news, actually, but Mm -hmm. because of like the level of detail in it. Or as you could say, like the level of gray in it, I like didn't go with it. And I didn't I didn't just pick it for that reason. I put part of it. I was like, oh, I'm probably not like going to be able to present this in the most expert way possible. And this kind of thing, people really should read on their own if it's relevant to them. But in in light of like this current angle about consumption, it has become clear to me that part of the reason I didn't pick it was because it was like average. Yeah. Is there anything else you want me to reply? That's all I wanted to say about Minecraft and college students graduating. And I know that your subject is also related to what people are doing in the time of coronavirus. So do you want to go ahead? Yeah. My topic this week is stop trying to be productive. So this is probably part of a broader movement. A lot of people that have been working from home or who have had the privilege of working from home have been thinking about, and it pertains to just the belief we need to be always doing stuff, right? And the subheading for this piece by Taylor Lorenz with the New York Times goes along the lines of, the internet wants you to believe you aren't doing enough with all that quote unquote extra time you have now, but staying inside and attending to basic needs is plenty. I think I think we we see it in that maybe it's the the sort of disease of social media in that we're feeling the need to continue to share stuff but when you don't leave the confines of your home it becomes more challenging so it's like hey there's an underlying pressure to show that you're doing something or you're being productive and I think that's like productivity and self-worth seem to be tied in some ways here it's like hey what did I do with my extra time I I do think there's several ways of arguing for it I'm not sure how to necessarily tackle it so much as like just throw it all out and then maybe we can see what the hierarchy or structure is. But I think first and foremost, it's like our modern ailment is like the belief that productivity is king and like the more stuff we get done and the busier we are generally means we're more important, right? Or self-worth is increased. 
Or it's just that like time has to be that our time is valuable is something I think we can agree on. But then because people think our time is valuable, then therefore all time must be like maximally optimized. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this there's a few quotes I thought were interesting. This first quote is from Julie Earl Strupp, uh, who's a photographer in Colorado. It's everywhere. It's in blog posts. It's on social media. It's in emails I get from people like, use this time productively as if I usually don't. And then there's another quote from Chris Bailey, a productivity consultant and the author of Hyperfocus, How to Manage Your Attention in a World of Distraction. And he says, it's tough enough to be productive in the best of times, let alone when we're in a global crisis. The idea that we have so much time available during the day now is fantastic, but these days it's the opposite of luxury. We're home because we have to be home, and we have much less attention because we're living through so much. What I'm personally trying to come to terms with is like, like going back to my original point, like that these are things that I think are, are critical is that number one, our fixation with productivity, and number two, our relationship with time. And I think generally speaking, we try to define our productivity over roughly eight hours, right? Basically the construct of like what what the modern sort of capitalist society suggests. But what I do find interesting is that, you know, at the end of the day, we've actually been provided what was something we've always wanted, yet we failed to realize that when we actually have free time, right? I would I would assume that by virtue of us not needing to commute, all these other things, and the fact that we stay at home, we've actually gained some time. I do think that we have to come to the realization how we're going to use it and what does it mean to us, right? And I think this is the thing is like people have felt the pressure and need to like plug that free time with more quote unquote things of productivity. I think it comes from prior to this pandemic people were really interested in using their free time for self-betterment. So I think that, you know, this message of use this time productively is not just work-related, but it is like, oh, you have all of this free time now that you can use to do yoga at home, or you can learn how to use After Effects or Final Cut Pro or, or learn French, you know? Like, you've been given the free time that you've always wanted. Now you should go develop those hobbies and side projects that you were meaning to develop. But the problem is that this is like such a non-normal situation. In a normal situation where, yes, if you'd been given that gift or if you chose to be at home and give yourself that free time, that is a response you could expect to have. But because, you know, like the quotes you said, it's like we are living through so much and we're home because we have to be home giving ourselves that additional pressure of being of like bettering ourselves and being productive in our free time se- seems sort of not not really the point of like this moment of our lives at least that's like my stance on this yeah cuz cuz basically the way that we've looked at free time in a way is not necessarily for ourselves cuz it's kind of like i have this other article that i was reading and it's called uh, The Tyranny of the Workday, How Capitalism Colonizes Your Free Time. It's by Thomas McGath. And I think what he's trying to say is that we work eight hours, and then in our free time, we basically prepare ourselves or rest up for the next eight hours the next day, right? In essence, as technology has gotten better, we theoretically should have been working less, mm-hmm. right? But 
in a capitalistic system, it's like there's always further extraction. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's always like this difficult conversation we have because I think that the world is so so much in flux and like there's it back to the point we made in the first topic. There's this polarization of hey, if you're this, you're that, right? And I think that as we look at it, there has to be a little bit more uh, nuance to how we choose our models going forward for the next, you know, millennium, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, whatever the next next phase of humanity. And I, I don't, I, it sounds really lofty, but I think the reality is that we've gotten a certain place and like we're starting to see uh, cracks emerge. So now it's like trying to rethink, well, like in the face of all of this, how do we create something more sustainable? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that McGath mentions in this is that in short, you become a self-optimizing machine of survival and production because basically we need to do that to make a living to live, essentially. It turns many of us into capitalists of the self, competing with other isolated producers ready to seize your job with their flexible lifestyle or lower wage demands. This is as true of the lowest paid caretakers and cleaners as of the so-called creative class. If the bulk of our productive time is spent at work creating value for others, then the remaining time must be spent preparing ourselves for the next or following workday. If we don't do this, we risk seeing our productivity or the value of our own work decline. And I, I, I do think as we look at this, how, how do we get people in the mindset of reassessing what's valuable in their lives? And I think that's always, how do I put this? Like, how, do, how do you say it without, with, without sound, sounding like you're reprimanding somebody? It's more like, the, I think that this is the one thing I've, I've recognized is that I think a lot of tools people need to succeed often exist within themselves. It's whether or not they are willing to kind of orientate themselves. That's like the second time I've used that word, but like orientate themselves in a certain way to take advantage or to apply themselves in a way that's both sustainable and advantageous. And to give you an example, it's like, I mean, you and I kind of have, you know, the same sort of two hands, the same two feet, and we have, generally speaking, the ability to shift mindsets. Like we have that luxury, right? Because we're not always stuck in, like our 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 time is not fully occupied, second by second doing something. Like we do have like time in between. So like the difference is like who's willing to kind of like reorientate themselves to take control of the situation or to recognize where they are structurally within a system, mm-hmm. and are they okay with that? I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Like, I always feel when I say this shit, it feels like, oh, like I'm trying to tell someone they need to do something so much as like, maybe there is a different way of looking at it. I think maybe what I would say is what this time gives us an opportunity to do isn't to do more things, but to think more clearly about why we're doing the things we're doing. I think we can still consider what is the best way that we want to use our time? Like if we can all agree that right now, because we're home all the time, we have more time than we used to. Like you were saying, if you just cut out the commute, we all quite literally have a little bit extra time. So with that extra time, maybe instead of being harsh on people to say like, stop being productive, like stop doing things, it's encouraging people to just consider like, why do I want to do this? And like, what is compelling me to do this thing? And if the reason that I want to do this thing is because like, oh, I'm concerned about the 
value of my job in the future and whether my work is going to be good, then at least you know that like this is why I'm picking up this like self-improvement project. But if you like come up with a reason, oh, I'm actually just doing this because I want to like I want to constantly be moving and when I rest it makes me uncomfortable, then like that's something you have to confront about yourself. Or like something I would encourage yeah. people to confront. Like I also don't want to tell people like, oh, you have to do this, but like it seems like there is an opportunity to spend a little bit more time thinking about our decisions of what we're going to do every day. It it does sound stupid because like stupid in the sense that it seems so simple, but it's just a small shift. And to use this in like a a more business sense, it's like, hey, I have a project coming in. I want to make I want to profit this much. Like I need this for my overhead to pay for my expenses, whatnot. Like just to live, right? Now that you've removed that, it's more along the lines of like whatever's remaining, can you produce it with that expense bucket? So if you have a job that's one thousand dollars and I'm like, hey, I want to make four hundred dollars off of this, right? Can you personally execute this project for six hundred dollars? And I think that the other alternative, like to bring it back to what you said, it's if I personally want to, you know, learn how to play the guitar, right? What are things that I need to systematically do to arrive at that? Like, okay, I need to clear my schedule. I need to think about like, well, what are things that I would remove to allow myself the time? Like, oh, where do I find the resources? And I think that sometimes deconstructing it is the best way of approaching it because it soon breaks it down into several manageable parts. Like I think when you look at a big lofty goal, on its own, it's often really difficult, really challenging. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's massive, right? But the deconstruction, I think everything has like subatomic units to it. I think I said that trying to sound smart, but like basically everything can be divided into smaller and smaller bits, right? Yeah. Well, I also so, like, wonder, I think that's like kind of the way of looking at it. You've actually just kind of made me think about how, you know, a big reason, I'm, I'm not trying to be like psychobabble right now, but uh, one of the. What's psychobabble mean? Just like pseudo-scientifically sort of trying to say something that doesn't really mean anything. So I'm not trying to do that in the statement I'm about to make, but I'm going to make the statement anyway. You just made me think that maybe one of the reasons people do things is because they're afraid of something, right? Like fear is at the heart of a lot of our motivation. So I think also people are, including myself, I'm going to implicate myself as well, like afraid of unstructured time. And so we leap at filling unstructured time. And because of the way we've been conditioned in terms of work, the easiest way to fill that unstructured time is to do things that are very obviously productive. Instead of like letting yourself yeah. look at that unstructured time and consider, what do I actually want to do with this time? Have you always thought like this or was there something that switched for you? Or are you still battling with this of how to spend free time i don't struggle in this self-quarantine with being bored because i have work i want to do and there's always work that i can do i do still struggle with allowing myself to not feel guilty about doing not obviously productive things so for example I play Animal Crossing and I love it. 
a lot. Like, it is the bright spot in my day. But there is still a tiny bit of me when I play where I'm like, maybe I should be doing something else instead of playing Animal Crossing. But then I try to, like, train myself out of that. I mean, my, my pushback is, and maybe that I've, I've just used this to justify my more liberal spending of free time, it's that I do it and it prepares me to, like, you know, really focus on other things, if anything. Like, I, I put in, you know, X, X number of hours or whatever into, like, some part-time or whatever craft thing. And then that makes my other hours that I do need to work more productive. Like, that's the way I look at it. I don't feel guilty about it, you know? I, yeah. I think that that's the one thing that I would really caution people against is, like, if you enjoy doing it, I don't think it's really... It shouldn't be guilt-inducing. I mean, mind you, there's... That's a very nuanced statement. There's things that obviously you probably shouldn't do to great excess, but I'm just saying, like in general, like if you have something, if you want to play a game or you want to go on Reddit for like 20 minutes or whatever, I I think that there's that sort of underlying thing where we need to kind of come to terms with like every day is as much as we want to treat every day as a sprint. Life is more of a marathon, and that's the cheesiest shit ever. But it's really like once I kind of I changed up my perspective on that. It actually made things a lot more manageable. Yeah. One thing that I'm also trying to reconcile with in this period of time is that, you know, there are so many much bigger problems than our small problems. And it's like being able to hold those two things in your mind at the same time, like acknowledging that there are these huge problems that are really sad in the world and are out of your control. And it is also okay to like need to play Animal Crossing for yourself, like for your own well-being. And like, just because you're not working or being productive, it doesn't mean that you are like unaware of the seriousness of like things in the world. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, I think there is, I don't, I don't think I'm the only person who feels this. Like there's a sense that all the things that we are doing in our day-to-day lives at home seem so insignificant compared to like the vastness of the problem Mm -hmm. clearly we both have jobs where we enjoy our work what happens if you have a job where you don't you know what this is really challenging because i've i've kind of been it's 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 such like a weird sort of matrix right if you get paid enough to live off of and you know it it kind of takes a lot of stress off the table because oh it's a well-paying job right but it's you know you don't have any free time or the flip side is like it's not a great paying job and you don't have a lot of free time because you're so tired like i think that's the one thing i need i've personally have need to come to terms with because when people ask me how i do it I'm like it's a lot easier for me when i don't feel it's as big of a cognitive load to do my work because i genuinely enjoy it right so it's like i'm trying to understand from the flip side of like hey you know what you may be like not making a lot of money, you're super tired at the end of the day. Uh, how do I like reorientate myself? How do I like change things up? And I think it's still in some in some ways the solution is probably still rooted in like making small micro adjustments and changes. Like you know we did that open office yesterday, and someone mentioned I think it was you. Yeah, you, you used Craig Maud's reference of like making like a one percent change. Yeah. Right. What's one thing you can change? And I think that the 
the big insurmountable thing in front of you is not what you should focus on or what seems to be insurmountable. I think it's really like the micro changes because at some point it's kind of like a flywheel and I've used this reference before, but like a flywheel basically like takes a lot of energy to spin up. But once it spins up, it's actually super powerful and it kind of does its own thing. And I think that once you get in the habit of kind of controlling your situation, even if it's a small micro change, right? Then like once you get the flywheel spinning, I think that you come to terms with how to understand your situation and how to improve upon it or at least push it in a way where you feel more comfortable or you're more happy with it. So I wouldn't go as far as be like, hey, you know what? I'm doing a job I I don't enjoy. I want to I want to be making music by tomorrow. Maybe it has to be a little bit more manageable. Be like, hey, I want to spend, you know, 3 hours a week doing this. Maybe 3 becomes 5 because you've cut stuff out, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Maybe you maybe you're able to sell a beat for 15 bucks and suddenly, you know what? As that lines up, 3 hours become 5 hours. You've removed time from your other job and you've put it into this. Uh, those are ways that I think I I would approach it. Because it is challenging, right? If you, if, I have one more hard question for you. Yeah, or do you have anything to add to what I said? No, I'm I'm on board. I'm on board with that. I think, and I think what you've just said is not just pertinent to like this moment of time in pandemic. Like that's still true. Pandemic or not, if you're in a job that you don't like and you're trying to do something else in your life instead, and whatever those goals are were before the pandemic then maybe you scale it back you know like we we mentioned craig mod's one percent idea and actually he was talking about making a one percent change in your physical space so that you're happier with the space you're in because we're spending so much time in space but also if you were making like a one percent change already before the pandemic and you don't have that capacity then maybe it's like a 0.5 percent change i think just the point is that like that eugene and i are both making is that it's can be very incremental Mm -hmm. and that's enough yeah but i have one more hard question for you so like in this moment in time you know we talked about people doing work they like people who are not doing work they like what about the people who don't have work right now how should they be approaching these feelings of needing to be productive or these difficult choices of what to do with their time i think the thing that so this is something that that so this may or may not come across as cheesy, but I think like 10 years ago, someone gave me this book. It was like The Art of Happiness by the Dalai Lama. I think I've referenced this book before, right? And I think the the biggest takeaway from that was like, there are a lot of things that we worry about currently. And the things that are in our control are the ones that we should probably worry and spend most of our energy on. But I think it's very... It, it it's a massive cognitive load to think about things that we can't change. So like in, in those instances, yes, you can, it doesn't mean you remove yourself from any sort of emotional resonance with that, right? But at some point, I think there has to be some sort of objective take because you can focus on something out of your control or, you know, the 5% you can control. How do you, how do you take that under your wing and actually create some sort of outcome from that and i think in the in this exact case like if unfortunately you know we're made redundant how do i say it is unfortunate there are people in this time who have been made redundant who unexpectedly lost their jobs i mean it's kind of the outcome of something that's unprecedented 
yes, I mean, it's more of probably a white swan event than a black swan event, but it's coming to terms with the understanding that this is nothing in your control. So obviously, after this all happens, there are things that are going to be in your control, like obviously taking care of yourself, housing, food, like clothing, shelter. I think those are the most important things that one needs to take into account to begin with. But then I think the secondary part of it, once you establish those, and I'm not saying that it's something you establish within a day, a week. I don't know how long that could take, to be honest. But then everything else after the fact, I think it's about kind of picking yourself up. And I this is kind of the the sort of meme, the memeified like, oh, pick yourself up by the bootstraps. But it's like, I think for your own sake and for the sake of yourself and the people around you, it's like, what are things that I want to do? And like, how do I close that gap? Because the things you want to do and what you're capable of doing today don't always align, mm-hmm. right? So I, I hate to make life so goal-orientated because this is almost the whole thing we were pushing against, but it's just that, you know, goal orientation doesn't always need to be financial. It can also be like personal, right? It can be like things that yeah revolve around creativity. Like how do you actually close that that gap? I mean, I think pushing against this idea of being productive all the time isn't saying that we should have no goals. I think people very naturally have some degree of goals in their life, whether those are personal or career related or just about something like a goal can be something small, right? So we're not saying that people don't have goals, but it's just that the ways in which you reach a goal. I mean, everything we've said is cheesy today. It just feels like that. I'm going to say like the ways you would you reach a goal are not instantaneous and we need to combat like that pressure to make it that way to have that like instantaneous attainment have we said enough cheesy things on this episode i think so that's a good place to cap things off for the day if you are interested in hearing more about Macon. Reading and listening to some of our stories focus on the sights and sounds of creative culture. You can visit us at makin.com, M-A-E-K-A-N.com. You can also subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and platforms. If you like this podcast, you can do us a huge favor by reviewing us on iTunes or sharing this podcast with a friend. Also, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email myself at Sharice at Macon.com, C-H-A-R-I-S, or Eugene at Eugene at Macon.com, E-U-G-E-N-E. We love hearing from you. I'm Eugene. I'm Sharice. And this is Making It Up.